the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. So last week we just wrapped up with Romans chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. That was the reference from one of the Psalms of David in Psalm 32. And uh, we, we spoke about this uh, concept of faith and grace as we see in Abraham's life and in the repentance of David that salvation is a free gift and our part is simply to believe in that and to confide in that and to just hold on to what God has given us as a free gift. Okay, so we're going to pick up in the same place and we'll start from Romans 4 verse 9 and if somebody could read from verse 9 to 12 that'll be a good little section for us to start with who can read that for us I can does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also for we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness how then was it accounted? While he was uncircumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Very good. Thank you for reading that. Let's all take a moment to just read it privately and we'll reconvene in just a moment to discuss it together. All right. So if you're just joining us, by the way, we're at Romans 4, verses 9 to 12. And obviously, St. Paul is emphasizing a lot of what we discussed in the previous chapters. But let's try to just um, at least summarize this this theme that he keeps 
stressing. Before we uh, move on, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in this section because, like I said, we covered it quite a bit. But what's he basically saying here? So when I, when I understand this, you know, Abraham was the first one that God asked to be circumcised. So he's saying that even prior to circumcision, there was righteousness and they were walking in God's path, not just with the circumcision. And so both states, you can have the righteousness. So I have a question for you because I was in the circumcision and accepting the idea of now, now you're like, confirmed in the faith not just that you kind of believe in god or but now you have this commitment and you have for us it's even more i mean it's a sacrament so there's this exchange in baptism is it the same way when we're looking at this in the old testament and in romans how they're discussing circumcision and you know are you righteous they're talking about the jews and gentiles and he's trying to make that comparison is it similar to look at that way or you shouldn't look at circumcision that way in romans well, that, first of all, that's a great question. It, it's a deep question, and uh, there are a lot of layers to it. But we can, we can look at circumcision as basically the mark or like the external proof or evidence for the, the people or the nation of God. Okay, and like you said, Abraham was righteous. Abraham was faithful. Before the circumcision, right? And that's why he's saying it's not the circumcision that makes you faithful. It's not the external sign of circumcision, but the faith in confiding in God and believing in God. And that faith is counted as righteousness. Okay, in baptism, we don't have a sign of our faith through baptism, but it's baptism that gives us the faith. So I guess that's where the distinction would be, because we are reborn through baptism, like there's the death and the resurrection, like, you know, someone's submerged in water and rises again, and receiving the Spirit through chrismation. But that's basically the source of our transformation, because the Spirit works within us, and allows us to imitate Christ, allows us to um, to walk in His footsteps, to love and to to serve and to do everything that Christ did. Okay, so I guess that's where the distinction would be. Like distinction, the distinction in the sense that circumcision is the sign or the external manifestation that these are the people of God, and it didn't always. Um, prove the internal condition because a lot of people were circumcised that didn't actually have any faith. And remember, uh, we referenced that verse from Deuteronomy where he says, like, what I care about is the circumcision of heart, right? So sure, you have the external sign, like you're going to church, you have your tunya on and you look like a deacon and this and that, but deep down inside, where's your faith, Okay. Um, some people may have been baptized, but they're not walking with God. So I guess we can say, in the very same sense, you're not automatically 
living a life of faith just because you've been baptized. But baptism is not only an expression or an external mark. Baptism is an actual renewal. Okay? And, and that's actually necessary for us to have faith. Whereas circumcision is not. I'm not sure if I answered the question. If I didn't, please uh, be bold enough to tell me Abuna does not even what I'm asking. Okay. All right. Good. Thank God. Sometimes I just go off on tangents and I don't even answer the question. So I want to make sure that I addressed it. All right. So any other thoughts or comments about this little section? Sorry, Bruno. Where are we at? I just joined. No, no problem. I'm glad you asked. I know a couple of people did just join. So you're, you're totally good. Romans 4. Verses 9 to 12. Romans 4, verses 9 to 12. Any other comments? Any thoughts? Like I said, I'm not going to dwell on this section because I think we spent quite a bit of time on it earlier. But it's a constant theme throughout the epistle. So it's important for us to really understand it. So if you have any questions, don't hesitate. Or anything you just want to add, we're all learning from each other. And I'm glad some of you have your cameras on. I always love seeing you. Hopefully I could hear your voices and hear your thoughts throughout our time together. All right. So, I will assume we're all good. Let's jump to the next three verses. Okay, I'm not going to take a big chunk because... There's a lot to say about these next three verses. So just from 13 to 15. All right. So Romans 4, verses 13, 14, and 15. Who can read that for us? Perfect. Thank you for reading that. Let's again take just a moment to read it again on our own and then we'll talk about it. So, again, it's clear he's emphasizing that the law didn't get it done, right? The promise that Abraham would be the heir, that Abraham would be the father of many nations, that through his seed, the Christ will come. All of that wasn't promised to Abraham 
just based on the law, right? The fulfillment of that promise didn't come to Abraham because he was perfect in the law. The law couldn't get the job done. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say the exact opposite, right? What did the law actually do? What's he say? The law brings what? Wrath. It brings wrath, right? Not like God is angry and he's fuming and stuff, but God is rejecting this transgression, breaking the law. God does not approve, right? He's not happy with his people breaking the law, okay? And with no law, there's no breaking of the law. And I mentioned this example before. It's like, think about traffic, okay? With no traffic rules, there are no traffic tickets. <laughs> and the best example of that is driving in Egypt, okay? But people just don't get tickets in Egypt. And if you do, like if a cop pulls you over, you just give him like, like 20 guinea and he lets you off the hook. No big deal, right? <laughs> but, you know, stop signs, traffic signs or you know, traffic lights or whatever, they're like suggestions, okay? Like you want to follow, you follow it, you don't follow it, you know, it's no big deal, right? And no one can hold that against you because... The law isn't really a thing. Like traffic rules are not really a thing in Egypt. You just drive however you want, like Bemezegek. You go this way, even if it's a one-way street, you go the exact opposite way. If somebody else is coming in front of you, you both just get out of the car and you fight about it until the person with a louder voice wins and then he gets out of the way and you keep going. Okay? <laughs> That's how it goes. But here, there's a law. Right? Here in America, there are traffic rules. And... People get speeding tickets going on the freeway like 70 miles per hour, okay? And that's like nothing, but hey, the speeding limit is 65 miles per hour. If a cop wants to give you a ticket going 70, he'll do it, and it's been done. The same way in the spiritual world, the same way with the law, the commandments that God gave us, okay? Once there's a law, then... You have the breaking of the law. You have, once you have uh, traffic rules, you have traffic tickets. Okay? Once you have the commandments, then you see the transgressions and you see how sinful humanity was. Because the law just revealed the incompetence and the disobedience and the rebellion of, of humanity. Okay? So... He's making a point that clearly it wasn't our faithfulness to the law. Clearly it wasn't because we followed the law. It wasn't because Abraham was perfect, but he confided in God. He trusted God. He had faith in God. Right? That's huge. And he's going to continue to build on that theme and he's going to talk about what faith is really all about and what hope is really all about throughout the end of chapter 4 and as we get into chapter 5. Any comments or questions here?
And if you haven't driven in Egypt, you should sometime. It's a fun adventure. A <laughs> couple of people shaking their heads. My mom is giving me a big no. All right. Let's go to verses 16 until, let's say, 22. All right. Almost until the very end of this chapter. From verses 16 to 22. Who can read that for us? Anybody? Go straight to it. All right. Go ahead. I was going to say, some of us can barely drive here, so... <laughs> I'm with you therefore, on that. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him who he believed, whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and believing fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Very good. I know that was a long section, so take a moment to really digest it, read it one more time, and then we'll discuss it together. All right. So, like I said, there's a lot to unpack here. But, again, he's using Abraham as his primary example or his primary model. And he, he talks about his faith. He talks about his hope. And 
Sarah comes into the picture and uses his his whole journey, like from his confidence in God's promises and his faith and his hope to talk about the righteousness of Abraham. All right? The first thing we can pull out of this little section, okay, he says that the, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who are of the faith of Abraham. Okay, so for starters, he's saying, Abraham was not the only person who can enjoy this promise, right? But also those who are of the faith of Abraham, okay? So that means, if I walk in Abraham's footsteps, I will have the same benefit, right? If I share in the faith of Abraham, I will also experience what Abraham experienced, all right? So let's talk a little bit more about the faith of Abraham. Okay, he says he's the father of many nations, okay? And it goes on to say, in the presence of him whom he believed, right? He believed in God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. What is that all about? What does it mean to give life to the dead and cause those things which do not exist as though they did? And then he even goes to say, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. What does that mean? So, a little bit later, he even talks about what was dead. Look at verse 19. What was dead? Well, he, he was not weak in his faith. Right? And that's even his, um, his point of emphasis, that Abraham's faith was not weak. He said, not being weak in faith. But he didn't consider what? What was dead? What is it that he just ignored and, and just totally looked, looked right past it? His frail body. Perfect. His frail body. The extent it says like, the, the deadness of his body. He says, he didn't consider his own body already dead. Right? I mean, by that he's talking about the infertility of Abraham's body. Like his fertility is dead. He's a hundred years old. Nobody a hundred years old can have a baby. Right? Who else is dead? Sarah, right? He says, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. 
Like she was pretty old too. <laughs> to the extent, whenever she overhears this conversation that Abraham has, when God tells him, you know, next year, Sarah's going to give birth. What does Sarah do? She laughs. And <laughs> she laughs. <laughs> like just a big old chuckle. Like I would laugh too. Like if you tell me my if my if you come and tell me my grandma is gonna have a baby, and she overhears it, I wouldn't blame her for laughing, <laughs> right? But despite that, despite all of that, contrary to hope, he hoped. That's what it means, because there is no hope in death. Right? Hope wouldn't make sense if the situation is dead. Right? If you're playing a game, and let's say a basketball game, and you're losing by 10, 15 points, and it's only halftime, you can hope to still win. Right? That's not contrary to hope. Like, there's still a chance, right? But you're going to tell me, I hope I can win whenever you're down 20 points and there's only like five seconds left in the game? Like, the game's over. <laughs> there's no way you're going to hope. For you to hope in that case, it would be contrary to any sort of rational mind. Does that make sense? But, he goes on to say that, that he believed in the presence of God. In the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as, as though they did. Okay? Alright. Now, whenever we think of Having hope, we always think of expectations, right? I hope this will happen. I hope that will happen. We expect that a certain situation will go one way or another, right? Make sense? Hope is always about the future. Now, what is faith all about? Is it like the past, the present, or the future? Or a little bit of both, or all three? What's faith all about? When you say, I have faith. Present. The present. Very good. Very good. Because... But hope is a future. Exactly. Hope is that future event. When I have faith... There's no sense of optimism about, I want this to happen, I want that to happen. I'm not reducing God's work to what I expect should happen. Right? When I say I have faith, I'm not pretending that God will do this or God will do that. Right? I can pray for... A family member who's sick. 
And if I say I have faith, do I expect that my family member will be healed? I can hope, but what if God sees this as the best time for that person? Right? Or let's think about a smaller situation. I mean, I, I know a sick family member could be a, a big deal. But let's say we have a tough manager at work. Okay? And I pray about it and I, I have faith that God will help me. Okay? Is God going to change my manager? Is God going to give me a different manager? Or maybe God will do nothing with my manager, but just give me more patience. Right? Maybe I won't increase in patience, but I'll recognize my lack of patience and I'll increase in humility. <laughs> right? I don't know what God will do. And if I reduce faith to an expectation, I reduce God's work in my life. Does that make sense? Faith is that God is present and His promises are true. That God is real and God will never lie. He is true. He's going to be true to His word no matter what happens. Okay? What was God's word to Abraham? What was the promise? He will be the father of many nations and his like children will be as large as the sand of the sea and the stars in the sky. Very good. Very good. So he had faith in God's word. He had faith that God will accomplish what he promised him. Okay? And even when that promise was challenged, he didn't actually propose a, a, a certain event to happen. He didn't like, like suggest that this will happen or that will happen. He just trusted in God's promises. I believe in him now. Okay. He didn't know when it would happen, but he believed in him, right? Even when Sarah gave birth to Isaac, and God tells Abraham to offer Isaac. Abraham, offer your son. But this is the seed, the heir. This is like, how am I going to be the father of many nations when I'm not even the father of one child? <laughs> like, you want me to kill my one child? Right? He takes Abraham up to the mountain, and on his way, he tells his servants, stay here, I'm going to go worship with Isaac, and we will return. If you were to ask Abraham, what do you mean you're going to return? Like, we know that deep down in, my, in your mind, you're scheming to offer your, your son. How is it that you're going to return with Isaac? And he would probably tell you, I have no idea. But I trust God. He said he's going to make 
Isaac, my seed, and I'm going to be the father of many nations. I trust him. I promise. I have confidence in his promises. So I'm just going to go do what he said. I know Isaac will live whether he gives me like a replica of Isaac after Isaac is slain, whether Isaac rises from the dead, whether he saves me from slaying my son midway through, which is you know, probably what actually happened. Some fathers say that Isaac was resurrected because we know this was a type of Christ, right? Remember whenever Jesus says, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. What did Abraham see? How did Abraham see the day of the Lord? The resurrection, right? Isaac was not dead, but returned alive. And we pray this fraction on Covenant Thursday, right? You see what faith is all about. When I have a problem in my life, I need to set aside all of my assumptions and all of my expectations and to completely surrender to God. Think about every single problem in your life. The moment you project an expectation, oh, God has to solve it this way. This is the only way. Like, God, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. Like, clearly this is the problem and clearly this is the solution. So, like, can we get there, please? (laughs) That's not how God works. Faith has nothing to do with that. I can have hope. I can hope for whatever future event, right? But hope that is built on my faith in God, built on His promises, and built on His presence in the moment. Not based on my projection of what future events should look like. Is everybody with me? I promise you, our life will totally change when we live with this sort of faith. When we set aside all our expectations and tell God, I'm in your hands. You want me to go this way? I'll go this way. You want me to go that way? I'll go that way. You want to increase this, um, the duration of this problem? You want to extend it? Extend it. You want me to carry a a bigger load? I'm with you. Like, you're going to be my my fortress. You're going to be my strength. You're going to be everything. So I know whatever you put in my life, you're by my side. And that's all I need. That gives us true peace and comfort. Right? Remember the three holy youth? King Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm going to throw you in the fire. They said, okay. Uh, They didn't say, oh, we have faith. God will save us. We trust in God. We have faith. He will save us. Right? And remember, the three holy youth were, were the ones stronger than all of the other soldiers after just eating lentils. Like they knew that God would always... Take care of them. Right? So they, they had faith in God. They could have said, God will never let us die. They didn't say that. They said, God is able to save us. But if He doesn't, we will die for Him. Didn't 
try to put their future in a box and say, look, we don't know what's going to happen. It doesn't matter. Our lives are in God's hands and we're comfortable with that. Okay? How could we tell the difference between if we want to take, make decisions? This is the right decision or if it's not God's plan, how do we know if I make my own decision and it wasn't like what God wants me, but I took it already? That's a great question. So, Obviously, there's a lot that goes into the decisions we make. We pray, we talk to uh, our father, confession. If I took the wrong decision, how do I know it, it, hmm. it's not God's plan or it is God's plan? How do I know? Even I, I pray before I make the decision. So you're talking about how do I continue to to go on, although I may have made a bad decision, I don't know what the decision was, whether it was good or, or bad, right? Yeah, yeah. So if I did my part, I, I prayed, I did what's best, and I was not selfish, you know, I was trying to glorify God, we will always have peace, even if we don't know what the consequences of that decision will look like. And even if we make the wrong decision, God is able to change it into our profit. Think about sin. How many times has the sin in our life been a cause of repentance and humility and growth? Does God want us to sin? Of course not. But He can even use the worst of the worst, like the worst decisions in our life. He can even use that to, for our benefit. He can use that to make us better. No, we can't. <laughs> you know what's funny? At the end of the next chapter, He's going to talk about how grace increases whenever sin increases. And he's going to say, are going to tell me, should we sin a little more so we can get a little more grace? And he's going to say, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> I love the sermon on that last Sunday. I wanna, oh, thank wanna, God. Uh, thank God. Uh, I must increase, I must decrease and Jesus increase. Yes, yes, yes. So, so it's, it's important, yes, it's important for us to keep all of that in mind. And again, God will do the best for us regardless of the decisions we make. Okay, so long as we are uh, truly seeking Him and doing our part. Okay? Give us a sign. Okay. So, Abuna, like, um, just piggybacking off what Sansa was saying, is, um, like, say, if, if we are struggling with a decision, right, and we can't tell which is the right or wrong, and um, is faith the understanding, the letting go, and the understanding that God has your best interests at heart either way? I mean, that's certainly a part of it, because we do have to continue to move forward. Like, St. Paul was persecuting the church, and he knew that wasn't a good decision, but he says, um, letting go of the past and moving on, I press forward towards the goal in Christ Jesus. Okay, And of course, it doesn't mean 
that we have this carelessness because there are mistakes that we can correct, right? Let's say I, I had a, a problem and I didn't deal with it the right way and I can go back and fix it, right? You know, we should take time to reflect and to think about, well, was, was this the right decision? Maybe I should have done that. And if it wasn't the right decision, if we see that the consequences didn't go according to our plans, we can go back and try to work it out. And I think that's, that's a constant part of our growth. It's a constant part of our maturity to, to admit that we are weak, we are sinners, and the decisions we make are not perfect. Some decisions we got to live with. Some decisions we have an obligation to go back and fix. And Maybe we can't be, be too prideful to... Maybe to, wrong decision, so in, another, in a different situation, God will uh, uh, open our eyes more. Yeah. To, and he'll show us the outcome. Oh, okay, you did... You took a wrong decision the first time. Now look, I'm gonna show you a better way, uh, a better plan. Yes. yes, perfect. That's very it's important. Like we... pick us up from the yes. the old, uh, you know. Yeah, we learn from it and we make better decisions the next time around. That's yes. part of our growth. And again, if we can correct that past mistake, we should. We repent and we go back. Um, I know just a story of a a child that stole a Snickers bar from the store, right? And that was obviously a mistake, wrong decision to take something that's not yours. Obviously, the, the, the parents could have said, you know, that's fine. Don't do that again. Learn from it. But they said, go back and return it and learn from it. Don't do it again. <laughs> And he went back, returned it, and he learned a valuable lesson. So he learned to be more, more honest. All right. So any other thoughts, comments, questions on this section before we cover the last couple of verses in chapter 4? Okay, so let's do... Let's do those next three verses, 23, 24, and 25. Who can read that for us? Okay, Amun. Um, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. <coughs> Very good. Thank you for reading that. Take a moment to read it one more time. It's a short little section, but we'll, uh, we'll discuss it after you read it one more time on your own.
All right. So why was it written? Why was Abraham's story written? Why did we read that his faith was accounted to him as righteousness? Is it for Abraham to realize that? For us. For us. For us us to realize that when we follow in his footsteps, we can benefit in the very same way. Right? And we can apply that to all of the saints. Right? The lives of the saints are for us. Even in Hebrews, St. Paul puts it as, we have a cloud of witnesses. People that are in front of us on a pedestal as living examples. Okay? And the fathers comment on why Abraham was was tested. And we read in the scriptures, it came to pass that God wanted to know Abraham's heart and his love for him. But the expression here is a little strange because there's no way God would need to know something. God doesn't test us to know the nature of our faith but so that his faith would be revealed, right? It would be revealed to him. So Abraham can come to terms with the reality of his faith and for his faith to be a model for us. God doesn't need to test us to figure out how faithful we are. A lot of people think that God puts us through trials so that you know, God could find out how faithful we are. That's absolute nonsense. God knows how faithful we are before, during, and after the trial. He doesn't need to figure it out. He knows all things, and He's above all time. Right? It's for us to recognize the nature of our faith and to grow through our, our understanding of our condition and where we're lacking and what we need to work on. Right? And so he says that that this wasn't this righteousness was not imputed to Abraham but for those who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So this transformation that Abraham experienced this imputed righteousness that we spoke about is not just that God looks at you in a better way but that deep down inside you are made righteous you are converted So that everybody who follows in Abraham's footsteps may be converted as well. Okay? Everyone who believes that it was God who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. All of this he did for us. Right? And that's the conclusion of chapter 4 that he wants to say, we caused, the, we, we, we necessitated the sacrifice of Christ. It was our sins that made it necessary for Christ to offer his life as a sacrifice. Okay? And he was raised because of our justification to make us new. So he was raised 
to give us a new life, to raise us up with Him. Okay? Any comments, questions? Anything you guys want to share to wrap up chapter 4? All right, we have about seven minutes or so. We'll get into the beginning of chapter five. We'll take the first five verses. We certainly won't finish it today, so I can get you out of here on time. But we'll cover what we can, and then we'll take the the rest of the time for um, those five verses next week. All right, so who could read for us the first five verses in chapter five? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our heart by the Holy Spirit who was giving to us. Very good. Thank you so much for reading that. Let's take a moment to read it again and then we'll talk about it. All right, so pay attention to the change in the tense throughout this little passage. The tense in regards to like past, present, and future. Okay, what tense is he using to start out this little section? You're talking about the past, the present, or the future? We do, but where did that peace come from? From the past. Yeah. From the past. Having been justified. We were justified. Right? There's a past event that serves as the source of our salvation. Okay? There's a past event that serves as our source for justification. Okay? That's even the source of our hope, even though hope is about a future event. The irony of it is that it spurs from the past. Okay? So, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
through whom also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And then he goes on to talk about rejoicing in hope, and then this gradual progression of all of these virtues that build from one another. Okay? Now, when, when we think about this hope that builds on, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. St. Clement defines this twofold component of hope. He says, Patience is on account of hope in the future. Now hope is synonymous with the recompense and reward of hope. Okay, so there's that future. And he says, regarding this hope as twofold, so that both components, he's going to elaborate on, he says, what is anticipated and what has already been received. Paul now teaches the reward of hope to be the goal. Okay? So the irony is that although hope is about the anticipation of the future, there is absolutely no hope without our confidence in the past. Right? Because we are faithful in God's promises, because God has saved us. He sent His only begotten Son to die for us. And He has never lied. He has never broken His promises. All of these past events become the source of our hope for the future. Okay? So there's the beauty of what hope is really all about. Alright? So, I want to get into all of these virtues about uh, our perseverance and our character. and This whole next section is, is very rich, but I'm not going to have time to get into it now to, to really open up our, our conversation about it. So we'll stop here. We'll pick up with the end of these uh, five verses next week. And we have just a moment if you have any questions about anything that we discussed that you didn't get a, a chance to, to answer, feel free to, to ask right now. So in these five verses, we connected to God through his, uh, uh, Jesus Christ, right? Exactly, through what this God gave us. He gave yeah. him to us, for us, yeah. Exactly. In this five. Exactly. Yeah. But it says here in like verse 4 and 5 that even in tribulations or in uh, hardship, we have to glory, to have the glory of God, to have the patience and hope. Yeah, there's definitely, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. That's why I want to wait. I want to wait until next week because it's a very rich section and we won't be able to cover it well in just the short time that we have. And hope. Okay, good. Thank you, Abuna. Of course. I like those five verses. Yeah, I actually had these uh, last three verses, verses three, four, and five. I had them memorized since I was like in, ele- in elementary school, now oh, it's sad. It, uh, no, it's sad that I don't remember them anymore. But I remember back then I knew them like the back of my hand. So, 
perseverance. <laughs> so I used to have them memorized like that, but unfortunately, get older and forget, or you just stop practicing. I think, you know, just going back and reading it a few times, it, it comes right back, which is really important in our memorization of the scriptures, not just to have the intellectual memory, but for those verses to be engraved in our hearts and to live those verses. So with that being said, let's all bow our heads to pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. Regardless of our faithfulness to you, your promises are true and you never change your word. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you for your unchanging love. We thank you, Lord, for never giving up on us, for your open arms that are fixed wide open for us to receive us regardless of how far we stray. I pray that we may confide in you, that we may have faith in you, regardless of our struggles, and to forget about having expectations of how situations should turn out in our life, but to just trust in your love, to know that your providence and your wisdom is guiding us in the best possible way. Unto you is dual glory. We ask you to hear us as we pray with all thanksgiving. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.